Hello, my friends. Grace greetings to you. I'm Paul. This is the DDP for the eighth day of December 2023. We're rapidly approaching the end of the year. Uh, We're at that midpoint here in the U.S. between two big holidays of Thanksgiving and Christmas. Christmas, of course, is universal, and all of you all over the world have this great arrival of Jesus on your calendar. And as Christians, that's what we look at Christmas as, that first advent, the arrival of Jesus not just in the manger, but in his kingdom being inaugurated in the world. And I'm so excited to be in Advent season. I'm excited about ministering the Advent Sermon, Advent 2, coming up on Sunday at the Garden Church of the Midlands. And it's uh, we'll, be, of course, be airing for you those messages. The first one you'll see tomorrow from last Sunday. We'll tell you all about that tomorrow as we do every Saturday. Of course, the Advent messages are going to be a little bit behind, and I'm taking one Sunday off from preaching. I'll be there, but I'm going to have another young man in our church to preach because I think it's important that I promote voices from within so that they are familiar with the people, the people are familiar with them. I'm not trying to build something around me, my call, my gifts, or my talents. I'm just trying to shepherd and tend my own garden. Part of that is promoting other voices, so I will be taking a Sunday where I will not be ministering. And then, of course, that pushes back our stuff, and so I'll have to interject. We're going to interject a sermon from the Netherlands trip um, very soon, so I'll tell you all about that as we approach that in the next few weeks. Luke chapter 5, verse 9, and this follows the moment that Peter falls down at Jesus' knees. He doesn't just fall on his knees. He falls at Jesus' knees. I didn't bring this out yesterday, which is sort of an indication that Peter grabs Jesus, sort of clutches him while saying, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. That seems like an oxymoron to fall at Jesus' knees and then ask for him to depart. There's this, I think it might be indicative of this mass confusion that happens in us. We know we need the Lord but our own guilt pushes him away. It's that sort of that picture maybe of Peter grabbing Jesus, but also saying, you need to leave. He, verse 9, For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. I want to put 11 in with this so it'll help shore up a comment I want to make. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. Or literally, in the Greek, they left it behind. They left everything behind to follow Jesus. And I don't know that it means they don't still own it. Peter has a boat at the end of John, jumps back on it, goes fishing, and and really uses the language, I'm going back to fishing. And he didn't seem to need to go buy a boat to do that. And I don't understand the boat rental process of the Lake of Gennesaret in the first century AD. But but just to say, I don't know if this means he never had the boat again. It just means he left it today. It's a statement Luke is making that he left everything behind to go and follow Jesus. This tells us a few things that I think are relevant for our own understanding of salvation. If you're like me, your understanding of salvation was framed around have you accepted Jesus Christ into your heart as your personal Lord and Savior? 
a phrase that doesn't appear in the Bible, but one that seemed very much the key to whether or not someone had actually been saved. That was usually accompanied by some form of sinner's prayer. Now, I'm not mocking or cutting down the sinner's prayer. We have Apostles' Creed, Nicene Creed, neither of which appear word for word in their form in the Bible. We have the Jesus Prayer. Uh, We have prayer of confession of sins. And so the sinner's prayer, uh, a little more of an evangelical addition to the end of sermons or to the end of invitations that became a quote-unquote public profession of faith for people who wanted to accept Christ. And it was done, it seems like it was done, initially in environments where the crowd was very large and the the preacher couldn't go pray personally with everyone. So there became this group sinner's prayer. Then the sinner's prayer sort of morphed into the thing that within a generation or two, like if you haven't prayed that, this is what I heard when I was saved. If you haven't prayed the sinner's prayer, you're not saved. And that was a derivative of people who were saying, if you haven't been baptized, you're not saved. It was a derivative of people who said, if you haven't spoken tongues, you're not saved. And uh, a lot of other things. Or if you don't do this, you don't stay saved. Or did you even really get saved? Really get saved was a phrase from my early Christianity. Did you really get saved? And we would say of people that we thought their lifestyle was wrong, we'd go, I don't even think he really got saved. Or I don't even think he's actually saved. And we threw the word saved around as this catch-all for what it means to actually go from being a sinner to being a saint. Jesus doesn't ask Peter to pray anything else. He's already said, I'm a sinful man. He's admitted that he's scared of Jesus enough to ask him to depart. He leans into his guilt, I'm a sinful man. And the process of actually putting up or shutting up, in other words, the process of did you actually repent comes when Jesus says, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll catch men. And then Peter abandons his old ways to come follow Jesus because salvation is more than the sinner's prayer. It's forsaking what you were to come follow Jesus. And so Jesus doesn't have to say, now, did you get saved? Because every day that Peter follows him is a journey into his salvation. And at the end of the journey with Jesus, as Jesus goes to the cross, we find that Peter hasn't actually passed all the tests. In fact, his story is a story of failing a lot of the tests, all the way up to denying the Lord Jesus. And yet, he receives the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, and he preaches a sermon that's 3,000 people come into the faith. I I cannot quantify how God does what he does. I certainly don't tell God whom he should save and what that should look like. So I'm not here to police what the standards are of salvation, whether it's inviting the Lord into your life or saying the sinner's prayer. But I believe according to the stories of Jesus, salvation was a process by which you followed Christ And you journeyed and navigated all of the minefields of what it meant to be human. And sometimes you failed. And sometimes you failed miserably. But you didn't go hang yourself like Judas Iscariot. You run to Jesus and eat breakfast with him by the charcoal fire. You trust him in the middle of all of your failures. Salvation is not getting it all right. It's following the one who is right. All the way into death. Think on these things. More tomorrow. See you then. God bless.